welcome to the post-apocalypse episode of What? What is a part documentary, part roundtable podcast with a little sprinkle of competition. And my name's Ellie Main. I host every week with my good dear friend, Chelsea Harfu. That was actually like a cry <laughs> sound and not like a party sound. Like it was like a wah, wah, wah. Oh, more like a sad trombone. Yeah, just like wah, wah, wah. It's the same energy of like how right when quarantine started, I changed my Twitter username to Arno Trapped in the Vestibule, which is like mm-hmm. a a very like not a deep deep cut, but like pretty obscure for like Twitter, which is meant to be like pretty broad, like your Twitter name. Uh, but it's a reference yeah. to like the climax of Uncut Gems, which was the best movie uh-huh. I saw right before quarantine, and I was like, this is this will be great for like the next like three weeks that we're doing this <laughs> and, now I, and now I just refuse to change it until quarantine is uh, over i'm getting uh very close to making an appointment with my doctor to be like hey so uh my meds are continuing to do like the basic thing that they're supposed to do of like not making me cry every day but yes i am finding and it has been getting significantly worse over the course of the quarantine time that my executive dysfunction which is a side like a part of depression and anxiety that my executive dysfunction is getting so bad like it is let's just say that you didn't know what executive dysfunction meant let's just say that uh-huh. um oh i'm gonna mean? tell y'all this was almost my <laughs> this topic a fact so bang? this yeah this will say, oh. I, you know this will be my fact bang and i'll save my other fact bang for another time wait wait pause 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 first Everybody, we're joined today by Miles Luna. We totally forgot to introduce him. What's up, what's Um, up, what's up? I want to hear about depression and anxiety. (laughs) He's in the same house as me, but in a different room because we don't know how to do audio good. It's fine. It's going to sound really good on the actual edit, though. (laughs) That's true, that's true. It is going to sound polished. Um, It's not our fault. It's not all our fault. Jack Frost just came into Texas this week and just took a... A big oh, old dookie yeah. on all of our technology. And oh, homes. we'll get there. We'll get and there. And not the fun, um, like not the fun, like um, what's his name? Uh, Michael, Keaton, Michael Keaton, Jack Frost, <laughs> the scary other Jack Frost that had the 3D um image on the front of it. Do you guys remember? Yes. Oh, I know. Which, yeah, the spooky. spooky I used to like not look at that in Blockbuster. <gasps> yes, me too. What'd you say, Ellie? Cute. I used to like purposefully not look at that in yes. the because it freaked me. Yes. yes, it was so upsetting. Same thing with Hellraiser. Oh I yeah, that's those. bad. I just had a weird moment for me where like somehow my brain couldn't comprehend blockbusters outside of the United States. That was a, that was very strange, and I wow. I just need to go back to listening to what Chelsea was originally talking about because I'm having a bit of a breakdown over here. Yeah, it is. Sure, I sure. I will admit I did not know blockbuster. It just feels like such an iconic American thing. It's hard for me to imagine. I guess the main difference would be that the movies are on the left side. But I'm I think the main difference is that in America everything was just a lot uh, had a lot more freedom there was just yeah, a lot more freedom free inside to pick those any movie. <laughs> you could pick whichever movie you wanted to so yeah. that's freedom it was super free. uh, sorry chelsea so what i'm not free to do bang. is basic executive function tasks because of my right. broken brain that's, that's a bad. fact bag wow so executive function are all of the skills that you have that we sometimes just call like 
annoying people call like adulting or like being a person but like the best way that i've heard it explained is like imagine that um you are going to make dinner for yourself tonight and like that's a thing that pretty much every human being needs to figure out every single day right and for most most of us most of the time you don't really think past I need to make dinner. And then you do that. But if you think about it, there are a ton of steps that go into making dinner. So you have to Mm -hmm. decide, first of all, if you're going to cook dinner or order out, you have to factor in the amount of time it would do it would take to do either of those things in relation to what you already have to do today. You have to remember everything else that you're supposed to get done in this day. You have to then conceptualize the amount of hours that are left in the day and whether or not you can do all of those things. And then you have to set a specific series of tasks in order to do it. So if you're going to make dinner, you have to remember where your car keys are. Go get your car keys, get to your car, decide what store you're going to go to. Like these are all the um, decisions that are basically usually happening in the background of your mind. And that's executive function. So it's like organization, getting tasks done. But it's in reality, it's actually like an incredible part of our brain. Like most species don't have that. Like we, you and I always joke, or the three of us always joke about our pets, like Mamba and Cheeseball and Chip and how like everything that they do is just present, right? It's because they don't have executive function. They Like Chip doesn't sit there and be like, today at some point, I'm going to run around and I'm going to run around like five circles. And I know that five circles, I can just kind of feel that that's going to take me maybe ooh seven or eight minutes. And that's about the time that dad comes and like tells me to come inside. So I'm going to get five circles in today and it's going to be fine because I have the energy to do that. He just doesn't do that. He just like, he only does what happens in the present. So executive dysfunction is again, really commonly comorbid, which is like a fancy term for uh, happening at the same time in disease speak, really commonly comorbid with depression, anxiety, um, OCD, ADHD, uh, a broad spectrum of mental health disorders. And it's where just for some reason, the basic tasks that you're supposed to be able to get done, you just cannot do. And so like the thing that I described to you guys earlier over text was like, I sometimes get in a loop and it happens to me when I'm working and it was happening to me today because I had stuff to get done and I haven't done any of it because I will open like the same three tabs on my computer over and over and over again. Like, oh yeah. yeah. Just like not thinking. And I'm just like, www.twitter.com. Why am I here? I don't need to do anything here. Let me close that. Mm -hmm. Reddit.com. Why am I here? I frequently do that when I walk into a new room. Mm -hmm. Like I will be in bed and I'll go, oh, I need to get chip some water. And I'll walk into the kitchen where his water bowl is, and then I'll be standing in the kitchen going, wait, what was I supposed to do here? And I'll see a pile of dishes, and I go, I guess I was here to clean dishes. And then I'll start cleaning dishes, and then I'll go back to my bed, and then Chip will cry at me, and I'll go, oh, wait. Yeah. I'm sorry. I made this about me. I was supposed to get you water. I'm so sorry, my dude. <laughs> no, so yeah, yeah. So short-term memory is a part of executive function. So like when we talk about executive function as like as not a symptom, but just as like a series of things that human brains are hardwired to do, short-term memory, that's the reason that we as humans develop short-term memory is so that we can do complex tasks. But when mm-hmm. you are experiencing executive dysfunction, Whereas like normally your brain could just go from A to E without thinking about it. You now not only have to do A, B, C, D, and E, but you have to remember them. And that becomes difficult. Because like on a good day, Mm. my to-do list might be like, ooh, get dinner with friends. Remember to pick up wine after work. And then when I'm having a bad mental health day, it will literally, I will write a to-do list for myself that is like, 
take shower, put clothes in laundry hamper, go to mm-hmm. the kitchen. Like it becomes yeah. so specific. And then I found out that that is called executive dysfunction. And it's just where like the basic parts of being a person just like break down. Oh, gosh. And I have read that uh, quarantine is making it the same way that it's just having a toll on everybody's mental health. Executive function does seem to be breaking down for a lot of people. It blows. Uh, in conclusion in conclusion it super blows judge jury this super blows Let's play our mini game. Okay. Um, because Miles, you're going to be the judge of this episode. You know that, right? Oh, yeah. I'm ready. But it's like, and I will not prepped? be picking favorites, okay? <laughs> I'm an impartial judge. <laughs> no, that's not what we discussed. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I'm here. And to uh, everybody uh, listening right now, I'm just, I'm just going to let you know, this judge will not be bribed. This judge will not be swayed. This judge will be fair. All right, well, we'll see. (laughs) Chelsea, what's your title? Okay, so a little bit of a caveat, which is that um, I did mention, (laughs) I mentioned online on Twitter that when we came back, because we couldn't record last week because of said winter storm, that I was going to do a topic about the deregulation of the power grid in Texas. But right. like pretty much every like political journalism-based thriller out there, uh, I started doing my research and I was like, this goes deeper than we ever imagined. This goes all the way to the top. So I want to give a little bit more time to like actually really get this right because I would hate to get it wrong off of like mm-hmm. all of the dead people <laughs> that sure. died this yeah. week. It's been really, really heavy. But I do have a topic for you that is timely. And I think maybe a little bit of, like somebody mentioned in our Discord chat right now while we're recording, a little bit of more of a catharsis experience. Oh, I love that. This podcast topic is called uh, Podcast Milkshake Duck. Podcast Milkshake Duck. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Po- podcast Milkshake Duck. Does huh. it have to do with uh, secure passwords? It does not. Damn it. Because that'd be a pretty secure password. Nobody, um, hey, no, I call dibs on that one. Nobody else used that password, okay? You can't have that. <laughs> and don't tell other people that it's my password, okay? Milkshake <laughs> duck. Like, I mean, what? My brain's going like word association okay. or like. So first of all, in the Discord, nobody tell them if you know what this mm-hmm. means. Don't write it in the Discord. Do you, do either of you know what a milkshake duck is? No. Wait, hang on. Maybe. Is this the thing that's like, it's like, it was like an internet fable about a duck who liked milkshakes and then it turned out to be like super racist? Kind of. You're on the right track. So what I think we should do is let's table this for the topic. Oh, immediately tabled? Let's table. And you'll see why when we get to the topic. And that beats the shit out of my guess, which was an anthropomorphic cartoon duck that loves milkshakes. In the same way that Sonic the Hedgehog was a big fan of chili dogs. Yeah, he turns rest my case. He turns thirty, starts a podcast. <laughs> He's just like it's going nowhere. A, a cis white duck. Cis white duck starts a podcast. This one will be different. We're gonna strike for an old and more conversational style. I don't think podcasts need to have a need to have a theme. The theme is just like what me and my boys are like interested in, you know? Just like what we're talking Which about. Which is milkshakes and little bits of bread. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my no. title. 
my title is as follows such as a baker a miller and a psychologist walk into a jail is a miller no a milliner is somebody who makes hats that's a hat man yeah that's a hat no, that's man. a hat man if i ever heard one <laughs> yeah a baker a miller and a psychologist walk into a jail what is a miller <laughs> a miller someone like, who works at a mill correct yes <laughs> yes. um, like someone who grinds so wheat is it about you know? the stanford prison experiment i don't know what that is so i'm going to go ahead and say no well you would have your topic so i think that we're good <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, uh yeah is this some true crime shit um that's not allowed adjacent crime yeah we can't do true crime on this podcast Oh, okay. It's not allowed. I mean, like, no one's, like, we don't have, like, a podcast daddy who's like, no! Like, we decided to not do that. (laughs) We can do crime-based topics, but, like, not, like, specifically, like, a, and this woman was murdered. They found her head in Texas, her legs in Louisiana. Her eyes were cut off. Her Her ears were were cut cut off. off. Um, that sounds so awful out of context. It's not about it. it now, this has nothing to do with like the the history of like a standard uh, uh, punchline style. No, no. Jokes, I right? just realized that I had three people with fun names, and so yeah. Uh, okay. No, it has nothing to do with the old classic setup punchline. Bam, gotcha. one, two. Well, I'm I'm stumped. So to the judge of the jury, I rest my case. Okay, so the first one was <laughs> Baker, right? Correct, as in someone who bakes. Okay, this might be like this is a really like wild card uh, guess. So I'm gonna guess. I love it. it. And you're either gonna say yes, and then we're gonna be done, or you're gonna say no, and then I think we should move on. And then we're gonna so be either, done. So either way, we're done. Yeah, and then I think we should move on, so like no one can criticize me. Um, sure. Okay. I see. I see. Okay. Uh, is it about the origin of last names? Ooh. Oh, that's such a good guess. No, it is not. But no. I do love that. All right. Miles, as the guest and judge and the entire courtroom and jury, who do you want to go first? What what do you want to hear first? What do you want to hear about? Um Chelsea hit me up. Oh Let's my go. god. Okay. So It's not a good reason- start, Luna. It's not a good start. <laughs> Uh, I'm saving the best for last. Okay, so we're going to play a little game. And this is why we had to table the conversation about in the mini game. is So we could play this little mini game, which is... Games within games. Oh, game of game of games, if you will. Gameception. Yeah, gametastic. And this game is an homage (laughs) to the podcast that we're going to be talking about. Okay. And so the game is called Yes, Yes, No. And the way you play this game is I'm going to read you guys a tweet. And if you understand every part of the tweet, you say yes. If you don't understand every part of the tweet, you say no. Okay. Okay. And then I will explain the tweet because the tweet is our topic. Oh, okay. okay. So here is the tweet. It's from Ahmed Ali Akbar at Rad Brown Dads. And he says, the whole internet loves Bon Appetit, a cute test kitchen that makes food. Three years later, we regret to inform you the test kitchen is racist. One year later, the whole internet loves test kitchen, the expose exploring racism at BA. Two days later, we regret to inform you the expose is racist. (gasps) Yes. No. That's fun. And a minus a yes. (laughs) So this 
this tweet oh takes the form of the thing that you were talking about earlier, Elliot, which is a snow clone called Milkshake Duck. So okay, a snow clone Wait. is a type of meme that's just basically where like you have it's like a meme template. So you have like the format and then you can put whatever you want in it. That's a snow clone. I don't think people uh-huh. use that term a lot anymore, but I wanted to show that I've like been on the internet a while. I did not know that that's what <laughs> that was called. Yeah. So the milkshake duck, you were right. Like you got all the parts right, but it's not a real story. <laughs> Thank God. It is. There's not a real milkshake duck out there that's racist. It's um, okay. It was, I, I believe it was just a tweet. Like it was an original tweet that like went viral and now people use it as like shorthand for whenever basically something that you love gets canceled. So the tweet was okay. like you just said, it said everybody loves, it was in the same format of the tweet that I just read. So it was like, everybody loves the milkshake duck an adorable duck that drinks milkshakes. And it says like two weeks later, we regret to inform you that the milkshake duck is racist. And it was based on, oh. yeah. And so like that was the original tweet. It went viral because it's very funny and it's very true. Like another example, which this feels like a billion jillion years ago is, do you guys remember Ken Bone? Yes. Uh, yes. Right? Yes. Have it, like, it's like cigarette smoke. Haven't heard that name in years. But like Ken Bone <laughs> was just like this nerdy looking guy at one of the debates between Hillary and Trump in the 2016 election. Yes. Everyone went as him to Halloween. Yeah. And everyone was like really feeling the bone. And like he became like a viral <laughs> superstar overnight. He was on like all these talk shows. Uh, and then somebody like found out that he like wrote some real spooky, sketchy stuff about race on Reddit. Oh. No, no. So Ken Bone got milkshake ducked. I see. Okay, okay. I'm tracking with you. Mm-hmm. So this tweet is about both how the Bon Appetit test kitchen got milkshake ducked last summer during the mm-hmm. quarantine, which we'll get into if you're not familiar with Bon Appetit and test kitchen. And then a couple weeks ago, Reply All, a beloved podcast, in some ways, maybe one of the most famous podcasts in all of podcasts, uh, started to Mm -hmm. do a multi-part expose on what happened to Bon Appetit, and then they themselves have been milkshake ducked. And that's what we're going to talk about. So it's a milkshake duck within a milkshake duck? Yeah, it's a milkshake turducken. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fuck! That is what I should have called this! God damn it! That's amazing! Fuck! (laughs) I'm so mad. Well, don't worry. It's the episode title. It is. Yeah. Okay. Milkshake turducken. So. Very good. Let's get into it. First of all, did you guys ever watch any of the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen content before it kind of did. I I watched a ton of Bon Appetit content. I was a big fan of it. I like to cook. I thought all the personalities were really fun. I remember the whole video about making pickles specifically. I thought that was great. Uh, and then, yep, <laughs> problematic place. Yeah, I, yeah. We I, we both listened to the to I think like the, maybe the first episode of the expose about the test kitchen. Yeah. So the Bon Appetit, if you're like the Bon Appetit blow up, if you're not familiar, like you guys are right. So Bon Appetit is a big splashy food magazine, and they started to build a presence on YouTube. And then I would say early to mid 2019 is when they started to like really just go viral. So they were already like, you yeah. know, doing fairly well. And but we talked about how mm-hmm. like the internet is kind of siloed, right? Like something can be super popular in one place and nobody else knows about it. <laughs> like yeah. yeah. If you go like two steps down the like metaphorical internet road. So I think that, you know, obviously they were building for a while, but I do feel like mid 
2019 is when it just became unavoidable. Like, and I started watching these videos. Claire Saffitz was a big breakout star for BA. She did these videos where she would um, recreate like snack foods, like a gourmet version of a snack food. And I used to watch those and just salivate of like the idea mm. of making, making um, like Totino's pizza rolls, but with like yes. real puff pastry and real marinara sauce um, and like fresh mozzarella. And I was like, oh my God. So the, con- the content was good. And then, and I mean, it took no time at all. Like it felt like within the space of a week, because that's how our news cycles go now. It was reported that the editor in chief of Bon Appetit, Adam Rappaport, had done brown face and also done like a bunch of like really problematic things specifically at his work. A bunch of creators of color at the test kitchen specifically. So the YouTube stars that everyone had learned had come to know and love they were reporting a toxic work environment there was also some really sus stuff about how some of the white creators were getting paid a lot more to appear Mm. on the youtube channel and the creators of color were not being paid at all what this isn't the full topic so like i don't want to spend a ton of time on it this is the way i understand it what was happening was because there were already a lot of like toxic things that were happening at Bon Appetit, the white creators had higher roles at the company. So they had a higher salary. And then the younger creators were primarily the creators of color. And they this was like their first opportunity. And so then they the company was treating being on camera as like basically a perk in and of itself. So they would not pay for it. So then what you end up having is two people side by side, both bringing in like millions, like tens of millions of views so both bringing in like revenue for the company, beca- making the company relevant, doing the exact same work, but because that work is treated like a privilege, one of them is getting paid like a six-figure salary, and the other one's getting paid like fifty k in New York City. So right. yeah, so really toxic, and then just like suddenly like it imploded. All of a sudden, there's just no new videos. Several people quit. Adam Rappaport was ousted. And now I believe they have started to make videos, but you know, like the kind of the old magic is gone. So that was how Bon Appetit got milkshake tucked. Just, you know, there are several creators, especially creators of color, who people really loved at Test Kitchen, who are still making content. They're just not making content at BA, but you can still support them and also get that great content. So one that I really love is this woman named Sola, and she is now on the binging with Babish, like... He's like rebranded to Babish Culinary Universe and he's given her a show and he's paying her for it. And it's called... Yes, I saw her first episode. It was great. Yeah, it's called Stump Sola and it's so good. I would highly recommend watching that if you're a fan of that kind of content. That's the first part of the Milkshake Turducken. Now you fast forward to February 2021 and beloved podcast mega superstar Reply All is like, guess what, folks? You want it? We're giving it to you. Test Kitchen, a multi-part, deep dive, investigative journalism podcast within a podcast all about what happened at BA and what went wrong. Now, Miles, I think, do you listen to Reply All? I know I sent the first episode of Test Kitchen to our group I, chat. I, I was not a regular listener, but I've known of Reply All. Well, it's hard not to, right? Because it's just such... Yeah. Uh, it's like it's like up there with Radio Lab. Yeah, it's huge. Or like Mark Marin or Joe yeah. Rogan or whatever. <laughs> but it really is. And the story behind it is also really interesting. So up until very recently, Reply All was hosted by 
two very fun, very talented, as you were saying, cis white males in their 30s named Alex <laughs> Goldman and PJ Vogt. And they started together as interns at WNYC, which is another like big kind of prestigious podcast mm-hmm. space, like radio and podcast space. And they hosted a mini show. They started as interns, pitched a little show. People liked it. Uh, it was called TLDR. And it was basically 10 minutes inside of another bigger podcast where they would talk about stories about the internet. Uh, and that grew and became really popular. And then in 2015, a little startup called Gimlet that was started by two producers from NPR who were like, what? And this is true. And again, this is something that like, if you're interested in could also be its own topic. Also, they rec- they documented themselves the starting of Gimlet on their own podcast called Startup. Uh, but the two people that started Gimlet, Alex Bloomberg and Matt Lieber, they were NPR, which is a nonprofit, NPR podcast producers. And right. Alex Bloomberg got the idea to make Gimlet because he did a t-shirt drive for one of the podcasts and they made so much money. He was like, <laughs> why don't we make this a for profit? Like we should do for profit, but like you can't do for profit at NPR. So they left NPR, raised a bunch of money and started Gimlet. I see. Their okay. first show was called Startup, like I said, about how they made Gimlet. The second show was called Reply All. And what they did was they lured, uh, that was their first big acquisition. They lured PJ Vote and Alex Goldman away from WNYC. So TLDR was sunsetted. And then they started basically the same show, but under a new name and like made it a full show instead of just a 10 minute segment. And it's called Reply okay. All. And Reply All is a podcast about the internet, but it's really more than that. And the reason that people love it so much is that it's like the internet is the starting off point. And then it's really stories about like anything like humanity, pop culture, politics. It's impossible. It's almost impossible to talk about anything without the internet being part of it. So that's why I think it's a great jumping off point. Anyway, Reply All has like over a million reviews. It's like one of just the consistently like top five podcasts every time they release an episode. They're huge, which is why what happens next really fucking sucks. Um, okay. <laughs> oh, I did, I did just see the Discord uh, being sad about the fact that the milkshake duck is not real. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, guys. it's a bummer. It's a real bummer. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> After the second episode of this Test Kitchen miniseries came out, which, by the way, it's important to point out, the Test Kitchen series was not hosted by the regular hosts, which is, like I said, Alex Goldman, PJ Vote, And then mid last year, they added a third host, Emmanuel Joshi. So it wasn't hosted by them. It was hosted by their senior producer, who has also hosted other episodes in the past. Her name is Shruti Penamanani. Shruti Penamanani is a South Asian woman, and she talks like very early in the first episode about how she was going to relate some of her experiences as a woman of color working in media while creating this show. Uh-huh. So like that was part of it. <laughs> so I remember listening to the first episode. I thought it was good. There was a part right at the beginning that I felt a little uncomfortable with, uh, which was that Shruti was talking about how she did not identify as a person of color until like last year. And she specifically Mm. like related an anecdote where she was like, she was in a room talking with like other producers and another woman who was Asian said, well, you know, like us as women of color. And she was like, what are you talking about? No, we're not. And like, I will admit like my initial reaction to that was like, as somebody who like identifies as a woman of color, but like also doesn't want to like talk over people who I know experience, like experience discrimination in a way that I don't as somebody who has more like 
ethnically ambiguous white passing privilege. Uh, so mm-hmm. my first experience of he- my initial reaction hearing that was I was like, oh, I don't like that. Like, that's weird. Why would she say that? And then I was like, well, I don't have the right to like judge it. somebody else's experience. And she mm-hmm. also offered it up. She offered it up herself on her own show as sort of like a framing device. And it was kind of a vulnerable thing to say. So I'm not going to necessarily judge. But I did notice it. I thought it was strange. It's it's interesting. I I didn't find it strange because I I personally found it relatable because I'm someone who's definitely white passing, but mm-hmm. like technically I'm half Mexican and I it's exactly how you phrase it. I often as someone who does not experience racial discrimination on a daily basis, you know, I will often default to saying like, "Oh yeah, I'm just like a white guy," but like that's not really true. And I yeah, it's something that I've actually struggled is is the wrong word it sounds much more active but it's just something that like i don't quite know how to feel about and i i think is like i don't know i i, I guess when she said it, though i found it interesting because i was like i think i could kind of get that but then it yeah i don't know i'm rambling now i, <laughs> no, I found no. it very interesting and i'm glad that I, i'm glad that she brought it up yeah and i'm glad yeah. that you brought that up too because i think you and i talked about this a little bit because i pitched a show at rooster teeth a long long time ago that uh they short answer did not pick up uh but it was called passing and it was like all the basically it was the idea of like all the invisible things that like different people experience or interact with like on a day-to-day basis and you and i Mm. talked about that and doing one that was like about passing privilege um in terms Mm -hmm. of race you should make your own decisions but i would encourage you to be like i would encourage you to own the beautiful things about being latinx and you can own those things and then not speak over people, you know, who are talking about shittier parts of their identity while still well owning said. the beautiful things about your identity. I think hmm. that's a wonderful, wonderful way to, to phrase it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So <laughs> back to this milkshake turducken. <laughs> so the reason I used Yes, Yes, No to start it is because Yes, Yes, No is a is a mini game that's played on Reply All where they bring a tweet to Alex Bloomberg who runs Gimlet and it's usually like full of internet stuff and they read it to him and he's like, that's word salad to me. And then they go through and they explain (laughs) piece by piece what everything is a reference to. Uh, And then by the end of it, they're like, do you understand? They're trying to get from yes, yes, no to yes, yes, yes. All three people understand the tweet. So Test Kitchen, the show came out. We shared amongst our friends. People were talking about it. I will say there was some mixed mixed responses um, about the content, specifically just like about like the reporting and whether or not it was a full and accurate. Like not that people were like pro bon appetit. They're not saying like oh nobody's lying, but they were like it does feel very interesting. It feels like um, maybe unethical reporting. Maybe the reporting was. So so hyper focused on making a specific story that it wasn't actually doing good journalism. Yeah, it already it already had a message in mind when it set out to gather information. Yeah. Right. Which and I mean I'm not a journalist. Um it's something that what? I would like to pursue more. <laughs> I know. Something that I would like to pursue more. So then on February 16th, 2021, a tweet thread appears and it's from a former Gimlet producer and talent named Eric Eddings. And I won't read the entire thread because it's very long. Uh, And also I encourage you to read it yourself. But basically, this is the first tweet in the thread. Last week, I got an email from Shruti about Reply All's Test Kitchen series. 
I had been avoiding listening, but once I did, I felt gaslit. The truth is, Reply All, and specifically PJ and Truthy, contributed to a near-identical toxic dynamic at Gimlet. This will be a longer thread. Apologies. In the... Yes. In the thread, he he goes on to explain that Yes, he does support the staffers at Bon Appetit. He supports the story that was trying to be told. But what he specifically took offense to was the fact that these two people, Shruti, who was reporting the story and also the on-air host, and PJ, who is kind of the uh, both one of the main hosts and like the executive producer at Gim- at not at Gimlet, well, mm-hmm. yes, at Gimlet, but at Reply All, that they harassed him when he was in the process of creating the Gimlet Union. Gimlet Union, again, could be its own topic, but the short <laughs> of it is that Gimlet was going to be acquired by Spotify, which it eventually was, for a quarter of a billion dollars. Whoa! Yes, which means that everybody that had stocks or, like, had equity in Gimlet, which most of, like, the talent and, like, early employees like pj and alex goldman did stood to gain and we were talking about a life-altering sum of money yeah multi multi millions yeah the lower level producers which a lot of them were producers of color a lot of them were women who had come in later both did not have that kind of equity but also like they were struggling for like basic shit being able to get their ideas in front of, um, you know, executive producers to be pitched uh, in terms of mm. like some like older people who were grandfathered in had IP rights that newer people were not being offered. So they <laughs> couldn't have any access to their own IP. And this is the one thing I'll say about the Gimlet Union that I think is really fascinating. <laughs> and I don't know, it might resonate with somebody. And if it does, who knows? <laughs> so... Organizing a union is really complicated, but one of the things that happens is you have to get enough people in the workforce part of the company basically to sign on saying they would be in they would agree to be in a union if a union existed. And yeah. then the management has to recognize that group of people. Gimlet's okay. management tried to stop their union. Because obviously they didn't want it to happen. Because if they had to pay everybody more money and give them more benefits, that would eat into all the Spotify money they were going to get. They were also very afraid that if Spotify found out that Gimlet was unionizing, they might take the deal off the table. So that was a big thing, right? So Gimlet's management is trying to stop this union. So when they get the list of people, they're like, well, hold on. It's a conflict of interest for somebody to both be in the union and be management level. So you can't have any managers in this group. So then Gimlet union organizers, of which Eric Eddings, the person who wrote this tweet thread, was one was on the organizing committee. They're like, fine, we won't, we'll go back and we'll get the required amount of signatures without any managers. So then they do that and they bring back this new list and then... Gimlet's management, and this is the part that's really interesting, they say, "Mm, so you took out people who are in, like, executive management positions, but you still have, like, a lot of, like, hosts and on-air talent and, you know, like, kind of, like, old-school producers who have been here for a while, and, you know, we feel like they're essentially management, so, like, that wouldn't count. And then the union organizers are like, okay, well... They're not management in the hierarchy structure, so why wouldn't we be able to include them? And Gimlet's managers were like, or Gimlet's like, you know, executive group were like, well, they hold a lot of power. And then Gimlet's union was like, oh, 
So do you mean to tell me that you agree with our core premise, which is that there are a lot of people who have soft power in this company who get to put their ideas in front of people and get oh. to like make the things that they want to make, but they don't actually, <laughs> even if they're not actually quote unquote leaders of the company and that that has actual monetary value such that there would be a conflict of interest in them being in our union. Is that what you're saying? And <laughs> Gimlet's executives were like, <laughs> Um. <laughs> so, so the short answer is that uh, Gimlet's organizing efforts led to them getting enough signatures, even without all the people that they that Gimlet's executive group had cut out. So they were still able; they were able to successfully organize. They do have a union now. It's a it's very inspiring for anybody in media. I do think it's absolutely oh, yeah. hilarious that in Gimlet's efforts to bust up that union. They had to admit that, especially in media, there are people who have, who are silent leaders, who have soft power that they get to influence and wield over others, where mm-hmm. their ideas and their work gets prioritized above other people. Mm-hmm. So that was yeah. fun. <laughs> so that was yeah. fun. And <laughs> um, so this brings us to why Reply All got milkshake ducked. Because Eric Eddings, like I said, he is a producer of color. He made uh, The Nod and For Colored Nerds. And he had a show on Gimlet with another co-host that was kind of like slowly forced out over 2019 into 2020. So he's writing this whole thread. He's explaining how when he was organizing, PJ and Shruti were actively anti-union. And it does very much seem that the reason that they, as far as they were saying when they were talking to Eric about it, that it was because they stood to gain a lot of money from this Spotify deal and that that could potentially be fucked up by unionizing because they were kind of thinking about it as like a zero sum game of just like, Oh, but if you get money, less money for me and in for me and my house. Yeah. So, yeah. Then yeah. I, yeah. Then I can't buy a, as big house, a slightly smaller. Yeah, house. I want bigger house. I want house with backyard in New York. You know how much that costs. Anyway, <laughs> this is the other part that I was like, "Ooh, this could resonate with some people." And if it does, you know, so what? This was this is part of Eric Edding's uh, tweet thread. So I'm going to quote from him. Reply All was slash is an island at Gimlet. It's the brand's biggest show, and it showed in resources and power. When they spoke, the company listened, but they rarely exercised this power beyond the scope of their own team. It was a click. I've talked to PJ multiple times, asking him to do more to contribute to diversity at the company, asking him to join the diversity group, to lend a voice when I spoke up at staff meetings, anything to show the staff that he cared about the issue. His response was always that he liked the reply all was perceived as a clique or club and that he cared about diversity, but he'd have to think more about how he could get involved beyond his team. Huh. Wow. Yeah. So basically, the you know talent and re- and producers at Reply All experienced a position of enormous privilege, and uh, you know, according <laughs> to sources, still do at Gimlet because they are the biggest brand, the biggest show at the company. Uh, and when they were asked to do something to help the like younger producers, producers of color, people who are struggling, they were like, "Ooh, ooh, yeah." Mm, so just our that'll... clubhouse is actually just for us. Yeah, and we're not going to be doing actually that. Actually, can't come in here. Um, but like, <laughs> I support you. But ooh, but then they really didn't because later. <laughs> yeah, not officially though. Not, officially. not officially. Like a like a wink, like a wink support. You know, yeah, like a wink paper, and a secret but... handshake. 
Yeah, no. So it's like this is like this is like those terrible teen movies where like the popular kid befriends the nerdy kid, but like they can't sit at the same table during lunch. But it's okay; they're secret friends, and that's yeah, how that works. Yeah, it's it's bad in some ways. Even though like this whole thread, you know, was very dark, very insidious. It pointed to both it and then like a lot of a lot of current and former staffers at Gimlet quote tweeted parts of this thread and added their own stories about kind of a toxic work environment. Talking about these same issues of just like people of color's voices being pushed down, um, this very cliquish atmosphere, this fact that, like, only certain people were allowed to pitch new content, uh, and it was very much like (laughs) us versus them. Um, (laughs) Some might say... Some might say Sorry, that I'm the, just I'm just having flashbacks over here. I'm getting sweaty. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. I mean, that's the thing, right? Is that on paper, it sometimes makes sense that if you are somebody who is doing something successfully in a company, that you would therefore have more power or say, right? Like, yeah. I yes. think that that starts out as like a very natural thing of just like, mm-hmm. hey, yeah. these are the people that I trust. They have been here the longest. They are doing something that works and resonates with our audience. I'm going to continue to trust them. Mm-hmm. What then happens unless you, this is this is maybe I think the core takeaway from both like Bon Appetit, I mean, and Reply All slash Gimlet Apart from, like, always just the biggest thing, which is that we have to fight against racism. But a subpart under that is that I think that these toxic work environments, all work environments with more than a handful of people will inevitably trend towards this problem unless you actively work against it. It's not enough to just be like, I don't want to be mean. You have to be looking for things about yourself. And, like, you have to be looking for, like, these uncomfortable moments that maybe you don't want to acknowledge about yourself or your best friends that work with you Mm. in order to make sure that they don't happen. You know what I mean? And it's really hard. Yeah. Especially at media companies with like forward facing personalities um, or or like that, um, you know, people might be wearing a lot of hats if it's a really small company at first and some people are going to be on camera and some people aren't. And then, yeah, you fast forward five to 10 years down the line. And then suddenly, yeah, the people that were on camera sure they seem to be in a different league, even though not necessarily on paper. Like, yeah, it it, it, it creates this weird high school yeah. click nonsense. And there's this nonsense. weird sort of balance and relationship between responsibility and privilege. Being on camera is like, oh, you know, I get to do this. And then from the other other side it's like well they're the public face of our company so there's a lot of responsibility there and so therefore we can trust them with more power and blah 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 and it just gets worse and worse and worse but i mean Mm -hmm. it's even worse when in all of these situations as it always is no one wants to come out and say outright well these are the people that we care about their opinion and these are the people that we don't so there's these like weird untalked about like very fluid boundaries of like maybe well maybe if you are also successful then then we'll listen to you but i'm gonna put everything yes. in your way to make that not happen that that is i think the, the problem that a lot of new media companies this little dangling carrot right in front of people but it's 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 when you create this false sense of that like anybody can be brad who makes pickles on youtube that everybody loves right that's when that's when it really starts to become a problem when you're just kind of like gaslighting people and telling them like oh no yeah no anybody can do it just like if you just work hard enough maybe you can be the next youtube person i think that what you've said miles is totally right which is that it, and especially like i think it can be very uncomfortable when you start from like a scrappy place which a lot of new media companies at least like in the past few years have it can be uncomfortable to just like at the beginning say hey I know that being on camera is fun and like 
you know, people are really into it and it makes you feel good and you get validation from people that you're interesting and attractive. Uh, but it is a job. And so if you are yeah. going to be an on-camera talent, then that is a part of your title. You are compensated for it. And these are the things that you can do and these are the things that you can't do. And to be totally honest, I think that not only is that part of how you make sure that you don't fall into some of these toxic traps that these companies have. But I also think that it's how you protect sometimes the people that you then put in that position. Mm -hmm. um, it's, mm -hmm. I think that if you as a company are going to profit off of someone's personality and personal identity, so not just what they're writing or how well they can read a script, but like truly saying, I want you to go out there and be yourself and then mm -hmm. I'm gonna make money off of that. You have a minimum responsibility to prepare them for what that means. Yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> to every part of their life, including their physical safety, including their family, including future job prospects, including legal ramifications. Can't tell mm -hmm. you, I cannot tell you the amount of times that I have seen small to medium level creators get in tr legal trouble after the fact because they were basically thrust into what other people trained to do. Like people who were on like CNN or The Daily Show. Like I promise you, Trevor Noah got media training and he oh, yeah. got like when they were like hey you're a stand-up dude but we want you to host this like big show this is everything that you can and cannot say on air but like yeah. small to medium level creators do not get that so they go out yeah. And then they, you know, make a show or make a podcast and then several hundred thousand people listen to it. And all of a sudden they're getting fucking sued. Yeah. Uh, and I do think that if you are part of a company that made tens of thousands of dollars off of you doing that, they have a minimum level responsibility to protect you from that. Well said. Amen. <laughs> so Reply All got in huge trouble. <laughs> uh, everybody, this really imploded. PJ Vote did a notes app apology on Twitter saying that he was going to leave Playall. That was later confirmed to be permanent, <laughs> which people were very upset about and are still very upset about. Gimlet released a statement, and this one was very confusing, that Shruti Pinamanini, that this was always going to be her last story at Reply All, and that mm. she was going to move on to other like projects still within Gimlet. People are obviously taking it really hard. Reply All is another show, like a lot of the content that we talked about, that has like deeply like parasocial relationships with those hosts because that right. show has been mm -hmm. on for like seven years and it was on before that. So people are like, I feel like I'm losing my best friend. There's actually, if you Oof. go to the Reply All <laughs> subreddit, there's people being like, hey, just so you guys know, this is what a parasocial relationship is and you should like check it out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, oh, it's so fun to see like other fandom groups like discovering <laughs> that this is an issue. Ooh, this is really unhealthy. Oh. So that is how that milkshake duck turned into a milkshake turducken. Okay, so a baker, a miller, and a psychologist walk into a jail. What I am talking about today. <laughs> well, I'll just start at the top of my of my little research notes here. So in the 1970s, scientists discovered a color that seemed to exhibit an almost magical calming effect. Another title that I had for this topic was simply FF91AF. Oh, that sounds like a yeah. That sounds like a color code. That is a hex code. <gasps> yes. Okay. 
Alexander Schaus, a psychologist in biosocial research from Tacoma, Washington, specialized in the field of color theory. And in the late 1970s, he began a series of experiments to test what the effects of different colors have on human behavior. And these experiments revealed that one particular color has an amazing effect. It seemed to sort of magically induce a feeling of relaxation and calmness and a huge reduction in physical strength. So much so that Schaus called it a quote-unquote non-drug tra- tranquilizer. A non-drug tranquilizer. That's kind of hard to say really fast. <laughs> Non-drug trank. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Non-drug tranquilizer. This color is known as Baker Miller pink. Oh. But it's also known as P six one eight Schaus pink or drunk tank pink. Okay. Yo. Drunk tank pink, which if you have the ability to find through the hex code FF nine one AF, drunk tank pink is a tone of right pink now. which has been observed to reduce hostile, violent, or aggressive behavior, and was originally created by mixing a gallon of pure white indoor latex paint with one pint of red trim semi gloss outdoor paint. That's how it was like created. What a fun job to like mix. Oh my paints. god! Oh my god! I just I just looked up this color pink. And can I be honest with you? It's almost the exact same shade of pink I have in my office. And now I'm questioning... Your strength? Everything about my office. <laughs> now I'm questioning my strength. My strength. Wait. <laughs> Where do you have that in your office? I have... So rather than painting all the walls in my in my it's house, I just wall? chose to do an accent wall in every room. And so the, the accent wall in my office is near the windows. It's the window wall. And it's it's like a... A more muted version of this, like Pepto Bismol ass paint. I've yeah. never noticed um, that. Maybe because you were too calm and too weak. Oh, I'm so calm. God, so I was calm, calm and so weak. So Alexander Schaus studied studied these sort of um, psychological and physiological responses to the color pink. He had read these studies by a Swiss psychiatrist called Max Luscher. Can you think of a more Swiss name? Who believed that uh-huh. color preferences provided clues about someone's personality. He was like, if you... I remember like people were like, oh, if yellow's your favorite color, that means that you're artistic or whatever. You know, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. He, Lucia, Max Lucia, no, noticed that color preferences shifted according to these sort of psychological and physiological fluctuations in his patients. And he thought that maybe color choice reflected emotional state. Uh, he theorized that one's color choices reflect corresponding changes in the endocrine system which produces hormones so mm. all of alexander schaus's studies were based like you know was sort of like building on these theories of like do we actually um release specific and different hormones when we look at a color sure sure so but they basically then schaus was postulating that the reverse of max lucia's ideas would be true which is like color itself would cause emotional and hormonal changes rather than hormonal changes influencing what colors we like I, I remember in like middle school learning vaguely about and i don't know why but i remember learning about how pretty much all fast food chains incorporate red white and yellow into their color spectrum because those are um colors that provide feelings of happiness and also hunger hmm. this is wild Dude, that's i i guess i never thought about not I guess I can't speak to whether or not they make me hungry, but I can definitely, I'm realizing that they're like in everything. But there's maybe like associations, mm-hmm. right? Like if you saw the exact shade of Taco Bell, for example, you might be like, ooh, I'm feeling kind of peckish. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, Taco Bell purple. I'm craving fourth exactly. meal. Exactly. Uh, oh, who's <laughs> not craving fourth meal? <laughs> Early tests. In 1978, yes, that's right, Schaus observed that color did affect muscle strength, either invigorating or enervating, fun word, the subject, 
and uh-huh. even influenced the cardiovascular system. So he began to experiment on himself, as any dope scientist in movies and stuff should and does, with the help of his <laughs> research assistant, John Ott. And that's when he John discovered Ott. John Ort. He discovered that this particular shade of pink had this incredibly profound effect. Uh, he noted that by merely staring at an 18 by 24 inch card printed with this particular color, especially after exercising, interestingly, there would be a, a marked effect on lowering the heart rate, pulse, and respiration as compared to other colors. Whoa. Mm-hmm. This is like the opposite of that cliche in cartoons where you would just like flaunt a red cape in front of a bull and they would just go ape shit because like the color <laughs> red just makes them want to just murderize everything um yes but like pretty baby pink makes you makes baby makes calm. baby calm this is what he this was like how his test worked he established the subject's baseline strength by pressing down on the subject's arm and they, you know they would have to um resist that uh for three seconds and then he would make them stare at this piece of paper, which was 15 inches in front of the, their eyes in Shouse pink or Baker Miller pink, and repeated the resistance test, and there was this, a significant loss in muscular strength noted. Wow. Yeah. And then he would place a blue construction paper at the same exact same distance from the subject's eyes, and their strength would return, and the subject shows no evidence of the earlier loss of muscle strength. That's just wild to me. This almost feels like something that was made up for like the Hulk comic strip. I know. Like Superman needed to have kryptonite and Hulk needed to have uh, FF9AF whatever. He needed Big Pink? He needed Big Pink. Big Pink is the only thing that can stop Hulk. (laughs) That's one thing about Hulk you gotta know. You know, color theory is really fascinating. There's just something about the idea of it having like a physical response that is so hard for me to wrap my head around. I don't know why, like... I'm fully willing to accept, like, ooh, this this color makes you angry, this color makes you hungry. But when you're like, this color makes you, like, weak, I'm like, now. Now. Can't say now. I can't do that. Well, we Alexander Schaus was so excited about his make weak pink that yeah. <laughs> he started doing these public lectures about it and describing the miraculous tranquilizing powers of bubblegum pink that he had found. He did one demonstration on TV where he got a huge bodybuilder to perform an e- like effortless demonstration of bicep curls, 1001, 1002, and then <laughs> uh, made him stare at the pink cardboard and he couldn't perform a single curl after that. Whoa. What? Yes. Um, most people were like, what? well, that's kind of creepy, but like, we don't really care. But then in 1979, <laughs> Alexander Schatz managed to convince the directors of a Naval Correctional Institute in Seattle to paint some of their prison confinement cells this exact shame, shade of pink in order to determine the effects that it might have on prisoners. These two Naval Correctional Institute directors were called Baker and Miller, which is why the the pink is now officially called Baker Miller Pink. Oh. Huh. Yes. I just thought it was because it looked like a color that you'd put on a cupcake. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Baker and Miller were like... Wrong. They were like, uh, let's listen to this crazy guy with his special pink and see what happens. Uh-huh. Shouts was like, even if a person tries to be angry or aggressive in the presence of pink, he can't. The heart muscles can't race fast enough. It's a tranquilizing color and it saps your energy. And they were like, well, let's see. So <laughs> Gene Baker and Captain Ron Miller decided to put it to the test and they did paint their holding cells pink and were pretty astounded when angry and irate inmates after like 15 minutes of being in the cell were calm and passive. Whoa. So then, Oh, drunk tank drunk pink. Drunk tank pink. So then jails all over the United States started to paint their walls and bars bright pink. 
If you um, Google drunk, pe- drunk Tank Pink, you'll see jail cells and drunk tanks completely painted in this color. Mm-hmm. Doing it and now. prison officers continue to report this like a transfer, like transformative effect of the color. In fact, to this day, prisoners in Mason County, where I don't know where that is, but <laughs> wherever that is, they still wear these pink jumpsuits and pink clothes and have the pinks and sleep on pink sheets. You know, it does make sense. The Pink Panther was always chill as fuck. Super And also the inspector was so weak when he was trying to get him. So weak. So we could could not even stop him. The official report was since the initiation of this procedure on the 1st of March 1979, there have been no incidents of erratic or hostile behavior during the initial phase of confinement. Only 15 minutes of exposure was enough to ensure that the potential for violent or aggressive behavior had been reduced. So it worked. Good. (laughs) People shouldn't be violent. Subsequently, though, so Baker Miller Pink was studied by a team at John Hopkins University because they were like, now they were in they were in your camp, Chelsea. Like, <laughs> yeah. now, where a peculiar tendency toward appetite suppression was also observed. So oh. apparently, not, not only did mm. it reduce stress and any kind of therefore hostile behavior, apparently, appetite reduction was an unexpected side effect as well. Which was wild because they also happened to be searching for an alternative means of weight loss in this study at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, of course they were. Of course they were. Aren't they always? This is kind of my favorite fact related to Baker Mill and Pink. So there's news that this color saps your energy continue to spread rapidly. And in what industry do you think that would be very useful information other than correctional or military? Uh, Elementary school. Uh, they did do yeah, that in Canada, sure. and it did children. work. Yep, Ch- children. <laughs> yeah, Canada. Yeah. Um, sports. Medical. Oh, sport. Oh. In the early oh, 1980s, visiting oh. team football locker rooms at Iowa and Colorado State were painted pink. <gasps> Hilarious. <laughs> yes. Hilarious. This very sneaky, unsolicited color therapy. Uh, essentially, eventually, a rule had to be passed by the Western Athletic Conference that both visiting and home teams' locker rooms had to be painted the same color. So you could paint it Baker Miller pink, but you'd also have to paint your locker room Baker Miller pink. Oh, man. You know, we just recently watched the movie um, uh, Seven Days in Hell. Uh, about a fictional uh, tennis match that just went on forever that everybody just wanted to end, but both players were just so weak and so tired it just kept going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I am I am picturing a world in which that happens to all sports yes. who decide to just bait their locker rooms. <laughs> Miller just Pink. like collapsing after a touchdown, like heaving themselves over the line. <laughs> um, but yeah, so also on the on the whole appetite suppression thing, the Weight Watchers logo is is uh, Baker Miller Pink. Or used to be. Oh. Let me just check that because I don't want to lie. I was say, uh, and the reason <laughs> I know this is actually because um, uh, for my work, I spent all of it's blue now, but also it's because they've changed their name to WW, which is a horrible name. Ew. Uh, because they they don't want to be uh, associated with diet culture, even though that's what they exactly sell. what it is. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. So they just it's called WW now officially, and it's blue. And the reason I know that is because. All today, today, which it shouldn't have taken me all day, but again, I'm having problems with executive function. Sure. I've been working on a montage for an upcoming podcast episode at work of like 90s and early aughts um, diet commercials. Uh, And let me tell you, it has been, it has been a mood. It has been a lot of like 
celebrities who don't really like who aren't in spotlight anymore telling me that like i'm a fat nightmare oh god <laughs> i was like wow like i'm not saying that things are good now but holy shit like it wasn't that long ago that you could just have like a commercial on tv that was like i think one of them is like kirstie alley and she says guess what i'm no longer a fat actress and you don't have to be a fat whatever you are oh. <laughs> Ooh, no. okay. yeah it's a lot well, I can't seem to find the original Weight Watchers logo, but I was told by the internet that it was pink. It was pink. Well, so internet never lies. Take that so. to the bank. So then, re- results of a controlled study by oh, some, I found uh, it. Some, oh, you did. Did you search pink Weight Watchers logo? Well, yes, I did. <laughs> but, <laughs> anyway, it didn't matter. <laughs> well, no, now I want to find it. <laughs> I'll pink put it in wait, the. Wait, well, oh, there it is. Yeah, huh? Yep. So, so, <laughs> so pink because it suppresses your appetite. Yeah. So then more scientists come along and they paint uh, Santa Clara County Jail pink and they found that prison incident rate increased and even oh. peaked compared to the pre pink months. So then <gasps> they were like, mm, well, maybe actually it's like the um, psychological symbolism of femininity that's the bias. And that's what's happening in Chelsea's studies that like people's brains in these experiments are like subconsciously saying, well, that's the lady color, which is ladies aren't as strong as men. And so therefore I can't now lift this thing. Am I lady? Am I? Could I be <laughs> lady? Um, and obviously all the guys in the all the people in the prisons are male in that they did this study on so then another that so then 1988 comes around and some scientists are like well let's get to the bottom of this and they basically found through loads and loads and loads of studies that well firstly it says the results of research on the effects of baker miller pink are conflicting and further research has indicated however in search of techniques and materials to utilize in the management of disruptive disturbing and violent behavior professionals should exercise caution in the adoption of methods and materials based upon the earlier reported positive effects of exposure to the baker miller pink color so basically what they found was that yes initially baker miller pink calmed people down it decreased hostile behavior but the effect was then reversed over time it was kind of this idea that people had been tamping down or that somehow the color pink had been tamping down natural urges to be aggressive and then over time if you leave them in a room for too long you get a sort of backlash effect or like a rebound whoa rubber band a rubber band exactly but despite that despite the fact that they're like we don't really know if this works it's this phenomenon that people aren't sure how or why if it's psychosomatic or if it's actually a real effect of the color like who the hell knows it's still being used though so recently a company called Volibac made a hoodie specifically in Baker Miller pink that was designed for warm ups and warm downs to reduce the wearer's heart rate and slow their breathing by reducing oxygen intake for um exercising but then so then like i I won't dig too much into it because there's so much on color theory and like the effects that different colors have like a lot of people would say like if you paint if like if you like people who paint their houses yellow go crazy and stuff this guy adam alter wrote a book about this about drunk tank pink but also about how other things that affect our moods and minds and behaviors in sort of strange ways um Mm -hmm. and in his whole section about color he says that there's super strong evidence that and if you guys are if anyone listening is on a dating website here's some advice apparently if you have two identical photos next to each other if you are wearing a red shirt rather than any other color you will always attract more interest in your profile 
That has been like proven. <laughs> also, hitchhikers will be picked up more if they're wearing red shirts. This was another like test that they did. Red is apparently one of the most influential colors on human behavior. And they think obviously that like oh. might be, might go back to kind of like instinct because blood is red and that therefore it grabs our attention because you have to be like, oh, I'm bleeding, might die. But there is just like so many fascinating studies about color theory and I want to like pause it there so that maybe we could dig into it on it like in another topic like a follow-up topic um uh-huh. but that is yeah that's that's what I would learned the other day about drunk tank pink that I found to be fascinating that dude was very cool yeah and now I want to paint everything and make everybody weak around me <laughs> <laughs> I want to use my newfound skills to conquer the world so uh one more time guys that's uh, the hex code is ff91af Baker Miller pink. Just take a take a stare at that. Make that make that your iPhone background and just stare at that for a good five minutes before you. And then sleep call tonight. your boss and be like, I'm too weak to work in capitalism. I, I am but I so weak. Capitalism anymore. I, I have too weak. been looking at pink, I cannot. And then just, I cannot and they'll understand famously. They love that. The, yeah. They'll love that. <laughs> or like right before a big negotiation, just like spam like a bunch of like images of the color to your boss and then be like i'm so sorry my cat got a hold of my phone i'm like i'm sorry it was just a bunch of sorry i don't even know what was happening anyway here's what you do you walk in you walk into your next interview and you're going like full-on dumb and dumber ridiculous tuxedo but it's all drunk tank pink but you what's this twist you're wearing horse blinders you can't see your own outfit so only they'll get weak and they'll probably not think you're weird at all and you'll get the job that is what would happen Thank you. Sorry, I've just been staring at my wall for so long that I'm just so weak. Oh, my, I'm he's so, just so weak. weak. Are you strong enough to judge? Mm. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. <sighs> Chelsea. Oh my god. Uh, I loved your topic. I think it is a very important topic in the times that we are living in when uh, we're now at, uh, I can't remember, a couple, 10 plus years away from uh, when a bunch of like small media startups got their start and now they got big and now we're seeing if you're not careful what can happen. And I think that's interesting and I want to give you, uh, let's call it eight points for... <laughs> Being good at topic choice and doing lots of research and being very careful in how you presented that research. That's, you know, no, let's make that nine points oh, for being a journalist, a hell yeah journalist. Can I, can I um, give a point for passion? I know that I'm not supposed to give points, but I'd like to offer oh, to the judge. I'm going to allow that. Point for passion. I'm going to allow Thank that. You. I'm Thank going to allow you. that. So we have a total of 10 points for Chelsea on all of those things. I am going to subtract one point. Because you did make me think about Bon Appetit, which did make me think about food, which did make me hungry. Um, and I'm, I'm, I am slightly inconvenienced. You by could that. just say, and as we um, all know, in Texas, there is no food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The other day, um, I reheated leftover nachos, which never reheat oh. well. Um, and then to try and like hide the staleness of the chips, I just put a leftover Wolf Brand chili on it. And am I proud of it? No. <laughs> did I eat it? Yes. Was it good? No. That's the end of this anecdote. Ooh. Ellie, let's move on to okay. your points. Uh, you have made me aware of the fact that uh, ever since uh, quarantine started, I've been working in a room that makes me physically weaker. <laughs> I uh, am alarmed and afraid uh, as to what I've done to myself. And uh, for that, I am going to award you with nine yeah. points uh, because I am now considering making life changes in this room. And those life changes involve painting a new color on this uh-huh. wall. Um I'm going to give you 
two points for the fun fact that uh, sports tried to weaponize color yes. against uh, enemy that teams. So I good. love that. I'm going to subtract one mm-hmm. point, mainly because I subtracted some points from Chelsea. And if I didn't subtract points from you, I feel like I would then seem like a biased judge. And as I say at the top of this episode, that's not the case. So... Take that. So betrayed. The end. So betrayed. <laughs> hey, hey, judge, jury, I risk it. I'm move straight into would, sentencing, and it is death. <laughs> I, would, I would like to also offer a point to Eleanor Aww. Aww. for not only having an excellently researched topic, as always, but for keeping it tight. <laughs> Thank you. Point to Eleanor for keeping mm. it tight. <laughs> Ellie, you know I love it when you keep it tight for me and for everyone else. Should I? Should I? <laughs> Do I need to leave? Overall, Chelsea is sitting at 36 and Ellie is sitting at 30, I think. Nice. Ooh. Because of Look, the year is long. The year is long if, if 2020 is anything to go by. That's what I just want to say. Oh my God, get also, out of my brain. Oh my God. Also, Miles, I did just want to say before this ended uh, that I loved that you brought up Seven Days in Hell because I hadn't thought about that movie since I saw it at South by Big Brag. And uh, no, but I was like, I saw it when it came out and I haven't seen it since. And it, But it is responsible for one of my all time favorite jokes. It stars Andy Samberg and the guy that played Jon Snow. And one of them is telling their backstory and they say that they were adopted by the Williams family yes. like Venus and it's Serena Williams yeah. in a reverse blindside yes. and I think about that joke all the time <laughs> they were like I was part of a program where like young white kids are adopted by like powerful black athletes in like a reverse blindside <laughs> It's very good. Seven Days in Hell is a very, very good mockumentary. It was really funny. It's only like 40 and minutes. It's on HBO. Yeah. You should remember. check it out. It's not it's sponsoring good. this podcast. Not sponsored? Yeah. Oh, but they should, though. Give us money, HBO. <laughs> that would be and by the, us, I mean Ellie and That Chelsea. would be the wildest sponsor. We are sponsored by an, uh, a pre-released <laughs> HBO mockumentary uh, <laughs> that exists on HBO Max. They are sponsoring this podcast, and it's official. Thank you so much. You know what it was say? What if we just kind of like tried to make it happen? Like where we just like sent them an email, like at HBO. Like this is Hi, our HBO. trolls too. Yeah, like we're like, hey, we're sending an invoice for the ad inventory that we've performed for 2015's release, Seven Days in Hell. We will, uh, we will take net ninety, just like whenever you guys can get us. <laughs> okay. Well, we've officially been talking for way too long, so that's true. Thank you guys so much for listening, Chelsea. Where can people find you? People can find me at Chelsea Harfouche wherever internets are sold. And don't forget that if you're looking for me on Twitter, my username is still at Chelsea Harfouche, but my name name is Arno Trapped in the Vestibule, and it will be until we reach herd immunity. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> just, just that's how you. If you're wondering where we're at as a nation, just check Chelsea's screen name. Yeah, Miles, where can people find you? Oh, you know. <laughs> Find no, you gotta me say at it. Miles Luna, pretty much everywhere. Uh, and that's all I gotta say about. And you can find me <laughs> at Ellie Main on Instagram and Ellie Maney on Twitter. And you can find this podcast at WhatPod on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Our Patreon is Those Two Girls, and our website is Those Two Girls Club. Thank you guys so much for listening. And this week, I don't know, maybe go learn something.
Bam 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 bam. Keep it loose. Bam 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 bam. Keep it tight. Bam 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 bam. So your prayers at night. Yes. 